Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip comes from a full episode with Derek Hansen in episode number 183 and we discuss microdosing. So what is microdosing? What isn't microdosing? And we dive into the detail with some great examples. But just before we do dive into this episode with Derek, I want to say a big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. So for the first time ever, there is a free AMS on the market. So a simple tool to collect, analyze, and visualize data, AMS Lite from Rock Daisy. Check it out at rockdaisy.com. So it's just to kind of frame what microdosing is as a bit of as, as a concept and then maybe some examples of of it in use and then we'll maybe dig a little bit deeper yeah um it's an interesting term uh because it it tends to you know refer more specifically to pharmaceutical testing um but also uh recreational use of of different hallucinogens so definitely you know, wasn't people that, have said by that yeah yeah people <laughs> people have said people have said well you know, you know carl valley always said like we should call it micro loading because i don't want to get you know pulled down that rabbit hole of drug use right like, oh, okay it'd be more Whatever. interesting um, if we did <laughs> yeah yeah you know um you know maybe there's some value in actually giving athletes lsd as part of their micro dosing um but it really came down to this, you know, during some taper uh, periods for track and field athletes. And I was doing some work with Charlie Francis and we were talking about, okay, in the 10 day taper, how do you change things? Right. And he said, you know, he used, he would always typically uh, in the main part of the training uh, season, he would have people doing like a high day, which would be more speed, heavy lifting plyos and then a low day which would be you know more aerobic systems general circuits so either you're working at a high intensity or you're working at low intensity and then we got into a um, a tapering period and then we did traditionally high intensity qualities every day uh, in this taper period and so i'm like well well, why are you doing it every day doesn't this deviate from your high low you know 48 hours for cns recovery and he says well yeah it does but it really doesn't because uh, we're doing, we're probably operating at 40 to 50% of the volumes, uh, for the high intensity components, maybe even less. So you're not going to have the same impact on the nervous system, uh, and definitely not the peripheral system. So you can actually do high intensity stuff every day and not have, uh, the same uh, negative impacts because we've dropped the volume and I'm like, Oh, okay. And then ultimately we go through a 10 day taper and people would perform magnificently after that taper uh, in a competitive environment. So I started, you know, I thought about it and I said, okay, well, why can't we do this all the time? Particularly, you know, when I started working with, uh, NFL teams and we looked at in season, um, microcycle planning and looking at the week and, uh, how much energy and time they had to, to work on certain qualities from the strength and conditioning point of view. And they don't have a lot of time and there's not a lot of energy um, because it's being pulled into different, you know, practice and meetings and <clears throat> even their social lives. So I started to look at how do we use very potent, um, high intensity training components, uh, and training elements to kind of hit them, you know, on a daily basis, uh, in very short periods of time so that we could, uh, first and foremost, maintain qualities. So maintain speed, maintain strength, maintain explosive 
qualities. Um, and, and in some cases, uh, maybe even advanced qualities because we're being much more precise in when we do it, how much we do it, and we're maintaining a very high, high intensity of, of output. And when you do that, things start to get interesting. Things you actually find that, hey, I didn't need to do as much because I'm giving them more time. I'm more precise about the application of it. And so the adaptation they get is more profound because the, the output is higher. And I think when we look at classical periodization, we think of blocks. And the problem with blocks is that you think, oh, I got this block or the space of time where I've got to plow in all of this volume and all of this work. And I've got to work on plyos. I've got to work on uh, aerobic qualities, got to work on some lactic qualities, possibly. I've got to work on weightlifting. I've got to do speed. I've got. And so you end up actually bogging yourself down by not being as precise and just thinking I've got to shove everything into this block. Um, when you can probably do things every day in smaller amounts, probably do overall, less overall volume, but maybe actually a higher volume of high intensity components because you're stripping away all this crap. Um, so I know I'm sounding very convoluted right now, but I think <laughs> it's just a more precise way of, of dispensing work, um, in smaller amounts. And because you dispense something in a smaller amount, the effect on the organism is more profound. And I think, you know, maybe that goes back to um, looking at taking LSD in very small amounts because, <laughs> you know, maybe you get a more profound effect. Like if I'm not, if I'm, if I'm smoking marijuana every day, you know, three times a day, four times a day, you know, after a while I tend to get numb to the effects of it. But if I'm very precise with smaller doses, you know, maybe I get a more profound effect. I've never smoked marijuana, so I can't tell you. So <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kind of surmising that this is what's happening out there. Good. Um, you know, so we'd ha you'd have to get Snoop Dogg on <laughs> to talk about that. Wow, that would be interesting. But Jeez, that's yeah, that's a different podcast. So how does that? So how does that integrate with? The stuff that goes on traditionally in the gym does that have to fall in line with this microdosing concept, or can, in your opinion, does that kind of continue down its own path alongside this kind of sprint? Well, more intense there's, there's this whole there's a whole contextual piece, right? So, um, if you if you don't like say like like in the weight room, if you don't do certain exercises over a, a long period of time, like, so let's use Olympic lifting for an example. If you've never used Olympic lifting uh, and you're not skilled at it, it's not a very good tool for you to use any other time during the season because you're not lifting much weight. You probably don't have much velocity behind your lift. It's probably unsafe. So by virtue of the fact you haven't developed this, this skill and this quality and accumulated some work, it's now not a very useful tool to you. Um, same with sprinting. Like I'll say, oh, people should sprint in season. Of course, some moron goes, oh, let's start sprinting in season and they pull a hamstring. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, but you got to do it in the off season too. So if I do, you know, if my volume is at 100 units in the off season, when I bring it down to 30 units in season, it's not that difficult. And I'm actually very, I can do it very easily without getting hurt because I've done 100 units over here and now I'm doing 30% of that. So if you don't do you know, a accumulate a certain amount of work in the off season, um, you're very limited to what you can do in the in season. If all you did was rubber band work and, 
balancing on BOSU balls for your offseason, you're screwed in the in-season. You, you can do 30% of the rubber band BOSU routine in-season. But if you've lifted heavy weights and you've done explosive work and you've sprinted and accumulated a good amount of volume over that off-season period, now you can use these very high-intense components in-season uh, to kind of tweak and, and maintain and refine. And, and I think that's what people miss out on is you, you, you have to have developed this base of work um, so that you can um, you know, be exceptional in season and, and have more tools available to you. And I think, um, it's kind of like you're developing your vocabulary in the off season. And so, you know, when you go and you do an interview with somebody, Hey, I've got all these words I can draw on because I'm a little smarter because I did all this work in the off season. Whereas if you don't, if you don't read any books and you don't talk to people and then you have to go do an interview with somebody or, you know, you're, you're tongue tied, you don't know what to say. You don't, you know, you're very uninteresting. Of course. Um, I think it's the same, it's the same thing, right? Yeah, of course. So, so in a, in a, an example of a kind of Saturday to Saturday structure, which I guess would be kind of NFL style, um, playing schedule, just give us some examples of what that may look like in, in in-season period. The easiest way to look at it is, you know, if you've worked with a pro team, um, you're very limited in how much time you have as a strength and conditioning professional. Like I always look at being a track coach and I've never, time was never a limitation. Uh, energy was to some degree, but time like, oh, we could do this. We could do that. I was kind of, you're kind of your own boss, right? But when you work in a professional sports environment, you're at the mercy of, um, the head coach. And so the head coach wants to do all their stuff and they'll say things like, Oh, how much do you need for warm up? Well, I'd really like to have 30 minutes for warm up. How about 10? 10. <laughs> 10 <laughs> <for> 10. <laughs> yeah. You're like, Oh geez, what can I do with 10 minutes? Right. And, and you can piss and moan about it. Um, and, but you have to start being very strategic about what you do. And, um, you know, you try to get an extra five minutes. Okay, let's get 15 minutes. And then within that warm up period, that's something you do every day. So let's establish that right away is that's, that's the contact time that I have every day. So now you have to be creative at how do I <clears throat> use the warm up to get some high intensity elements in, whether it's an explosive med ball throw or an acceleration, a sprint, sprint from different positions off your back, off your front, whatever, off your stomach. Uh, some plyos that you can do to actually get people, you know, elastic and explosive. And so I've started to now structure people's warm up to be less of this lollygagging of like going back and forth, sides, you know, side shuffles and karaoke and all this other bullshit and going, <laughs> okay, let's actually ramp people up a bit quicker because one, we habituate very easily as human beings or as organisms, right? So if you, if you place less demand on people, guess what? They'll expect less demand. But if you start ramping things up a little quicker and you get into this habit of adding high intensity elements progressively, but more rapidly, then you get responses. You get quicker responses and people fall into, um, fall into being in a high intensity zone a lot quicker. So I've had to actually sit down and go through and structure warmups with different uh, professionals and say, this is how we should do it. We should ramp up to doing sprints. Like an easy way to do it would be like, if we were to dumb it down completely and say, I'm going to work with a, a, a football or soccer player, um, 
you know, as part of the warm up, I would just do short to long progressive sprints. And you would start with short sprints over 10 yards and you go 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, and then have a graded sort of intensity scale, maybe change up the, uh, the start types um, to increase the intensity. So you'd have a walk-in start, a falling start, and then you might have a push-up start or a three-point starter. And that way you would ramp up the intensity there. And if you gave me 15 minutes of progressive sprints, I bet you that would be a better warm-up and a better workout than if you did all these stupid little exercises, you know, these multi whatever movement, you know, um, things that people have come up with to make it look interesting and make it look like, Hey, we're being busy and we're doing all these great stuff. And, you know, uh, we're doing muscle confusion. Well, I just think, you know, getting to a higher intensity one, uh, gets them warmed up better Two, it, it, it starts, chipping away from this microdosing point of view of getting high intensity elements in that are not present in the practice. So if I get somebody to accelerate by at the end of this 15 minute warm up, if I get two 30 meter sprints at 95% of their output capability, that's better than anything that's happening on the field. And if I do that every day, so you say, oh, well, that's only two reps, but say I did that five days a week, you know, now I have 10 reps over 30, right? That's 300 meters of good acceleration that they weren't getting in the practice and they weren't getting through your shitty warm up, right? So I just, you know, you have to start looking at things this way of what is the exposure to stress? And if it's not happening in practice, then you have to find ways to drop it in as as frequently as you can. And that's probably the most simple use of a micro dosing or micro loading concept that I can come up with is sneaking things in as part of your warm up. The other side of it is you can microdose low intensity components as part of your cool down, and you could do tempo runs at the end of practice, which don't have, um, you know, don't don't have this residual fatigue effect. But you know, they can get you know things moving, flushing out. You and you can accumulate aerobic capabilities with a frequent, uh, high frequency approach, microloading approach as well. So, I, I mean, I just look at things a little differently, uh, maybe than most people who are looking at, I think they look at it based on exercise and what they see visually rather than looking at it from an intensity scale and what the effect on the nervous system and the organism is. So. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So if you want to check out the full episode with Derek, it is number 183 and you can find that on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube. Also, big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today, and I will chat to you next time.